Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. It's Mike here and today's Adaptifier is Brandon Winfield. He's the co-founder of iAccess Life, which is the Yelp of accessibility. Essentially a mobile platform that enables users to rate and review uh, the accessibility of businesses and services so that together uh, we can create a more accessible world. Uh, Brandon uh, suffered an injury when he was very young and uh, man, that must have been tough but he's navigated that and come out the other side flying. We can't wait to learn how he did so and uh, some of his uh, tips and tricks for living a a great life as an adaptifier. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Really appreciate you coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. I wanted to give a shout out to Jesse Strawham, our mutual friend that uh, suggested us uh, connecting and meeting up. So thanks to Jesse and I look forward to talking. Awesome, yeah. No, Jesse, it was uh, it was a blast having Jesse on the show, and um, yeah, she's a she's a powerhouse. I, I loved um, I loved chatting with her, and and she uh, says the same about you. So um, yeah, it's going to be going to be great to see where this leads. Um, I mean, we might as well just start from the beginning, I guess, and and um, get to know you a little bit more. Um, what was your sort of upbringing like? Where did where did where do you come from? Where did you um, where did you grow up? What what sort of things were you into? Yeah, so. Military background, essentially. That's a lot of people call us military brats. But my dad was in the Air Force, so I was born in Warner Robins, Georgia. And when I was three months old, we ended up moving out to California to go to Edwards Air Force Base out there in the desert in California. So I grew up on the Air Force Base, always hearing sonic booms and just like watching airplanes. And I guess maybe that's where my need for speed kind of came from, essentially. But (laughs) Through my dad being a part of the Air Force, he met one of his lifetime friends, Tom Lacey, and they had a few kids that were mine and my sister at mine and my sister's age, and they were all racing motocross and they grew up around dirt bikes, and that's where the whole love for two wheels and you know doing things on motors or doing things with motors came about. And I grew up around that. Um, I think my first words from what my mom tells me were mm-hmm. motorbike actually. And that's <laughs> yeah, that's all I ever wanted to do was grow up and race motocross and be like Jeremy McGrath, uh, one of my heroes at the time. So uh, I got my first bike when I was five. I crashed really hard and I hated it. So we sold it. <laughs> and that was like two months in. And then we moved, ended up moving back out to Georgia. And, um, I used to play soccer pretty competitively out in California. And then we moved to Georgia and the leagues here, at least the league that we were in was very amateur hour ish there was people that were picking grass and sitting on the ground and just not paying attention at all and i had to come to jesus moment for myself where i just hated team sports and i wanted to do something that you know was independent and you know this you know your success depended on you essentially and um i started riding bicycles and a little bit and then skating and then motocross came back into my life And that was always the first true love. And my dad said, you know, if we're going to do this the way that you want to do it, you got to give up everything else and really apply yourself to this. And um, that's what I started doing uh, from about 11 to 14 years old. uh, Motocross was my life, essentially. What do you think motocross in particular 
brought to you in terms of your mindset and and um, attitude towards life? Uh, I would definitely say it made me learn about sacrifice and giving up a lot of things maybe that seemed like fun of going to parties with your friends and staying out late and doing stuff on the weekends. And instead of doing that, you know, you're focused on what you have to do and you're going to bed early and you're training and you don't get to hang out with your school friends and really go to dances or have a girlfriend because it's all like, you're so focused on this one job and it kind of just gives you the structure and it, it gives you something to work for, which I think was a saving grace for me. Um, (laughs) I was always kind of, uh, an out there child that didn't obey the rules and follow what my parents said. I was very uh, hard headed for sure. And I think if I didn't have something like motocross that gave me some place to be and something like a goal to reach for, um, who knows where I would have been, honestly, <laughs> who knows what, what would have happened. If I would have uh, just been left to my own devices back at home on the weekends. Uh, that's really interesting. I, I think I share something similar. I had a you know, ton of energy and, Man, if I didn't have uh, so gymnastics was one of my early um, early focuses, and if I didn't have that, you know, and then later on, uh, you know, rock climbing was a big focus. I, if I didn't uh, if I didn't have something to to reach for, and, and you know, the drive to get you know get really good at something, you know, you could easily spiral into you know trouble, right? You could you could find find another way to. Um, I don't know, to, ex- to find excitement, to find, um, you know, risk. I think it, it comes down to risk too and, um, and that feeling of uh, um, feeling a risk. But also, like you said, you know, just not wanting to sort of obey the rules, um, doing things that were maybe just a slight, slightly, um, slightly out of the ordinary. Um, yeah, exactly. I feel, like, I feel like that was um, a lot of people's adrenaline rush was, you know, breaking the rules and the – with their parents and trying to sneak around and do other things that they shouldn't be doing. And my adrenaline rush was racing dirt bikes and competing and wanting to, you know, reach a certain goal. And I I had something to strive for and I had something to kind of, you know, I don't know the right word for dedicate myself to essentially. And that kept me focused on what I was trying to do. What I came to learn after my injury was that all of these experiences I had that kind of pushed my comfort zone and really challenged me mentally and physically we're, we're like a resource they're a pool of um experiences that helped me navigate the spinal cord injury journey right my um you know I'd, I'd suffered um really really cold nights out in the mountains you know I'd spent um a month at sea um I had you know I knew what hunger was I'd, I'd gone hungry a number of times and um you know and I pushed my body to its limits I'd been scared you know, out of my mind, you know, gripped on a mountain ridge. And so all of these experiences, um, when it came to navigating a broken back, I was able to just um, draw on those and realize, well, actually, this is kind of just another uncomfortable moment, uh, albeit um, you know, tremendously uncomfortable. Um, but I can get through it because I can draw on these these previous experiences and the the I guess the mental fortitude to get through it. So in some ways, if, if I think about you riding your motocross bike and dedicating yourself to that, you know those experiences you had and, and that knowledge you built up through um, through that would have held you in in good stead coming into a spinal cord injury, right? Yeah, definitely. Um- especially with motocross and especially with what you do as well, gymnastics and rock climbing, there's always going to be injuries and there's always impact where you hurt yourself or you kind of have to push yourself to a, another limit of, you know, I guess 
mental fortitude and belief in yourself, essentially, especially when there's so much on the line, you got to really trust in yourself and your preparation, essentially. So yeah, when I got hurt, it wasn't the first time I had, you know, broken a bone or anything like that. So I was able to kind of draw from the fact that I knew what I was doing was very dangerous. Um, it was a weird thing that happened at the time because it was very rare at the back then in those days, but you didn't really hear about people breaking their backs or breaking their neck. Um, so it was just kind of this crazy thing of you're laying there and you're just like, Oh shit. Like I can't, I can't move anything now. Like I can't feel anything. I can't move. Is this actually happening? And, um, you go to the hospital, I mean, maybe a little bit naive and optimistic, but you feel that you're going to recover from it and you're going to work hard to get back to where you want to be because you still have that, you know, thing that you're seeking to do. Um, so I definitely think that was a major driving first force for the first few months that I was recovering and going through rehabilitation. So just talk us through the, the event um, and how, how old were you? What, what, what actually happened? Yeah, so this was back in 2008. I was 14 years old at the time, right before my 15th birthday. It was on April 6th. I was at this race up in Tennessee. It was for a Loretta, it was a Loretta Lynn qualifier. Loretta Lynn is one of the biggest amateur nationals in the world, essentially, especially in the United States. And you have to go through different levels of qualifying to get there. So you start at the area and they take the top eight from the Southeast area. And then you go to a regional and they take the top seven from your class. And then you move to the national. And we had gone up to Tennessee because you could ride in different regions just in case something happened in your primary region and you couldn't qualify. You'd go to another region and try again. Mm. So we were just up in Tennessee for a backup region, essentially. We'd already qualified at other places and we were just doing this one to, you know, get in another place to go. And it was a weird day. I I remember practice was weird. We, we had gotten to the point where we would just show up to the track on race day and not have to like show up for practice day on Friday. And we would just show up to the track and we would, you know, do the little two laps of practice in the morning that they would do like a little morning warm up, And then we would go race and didn't really have a problem qualifying. So when I was out there in the morning practice, uh, I was kind of behind the eight ball from everybody that had been there since Friday and done all their laps and got everything going. So I guess I was a little bit flustered and I was trying to ride a little bit over my head and I ended up crashing in practice and I hit my head pretty good and I finished the practice and I'd go back to the trailer and I didn't tell my parents at the time, but then I think they know about it now. I know my dad definitely knows about it now, but I, I didn't remember riding the practice or how I got back to the trailer. I didn't remember where we were at the time and I was just kind of foggy on everything. Um, this is well before we knew about, you know, CTE and <laughs> how mm. bad head injuries were and how serious they were. It was kind of just a thing of like, if it's not broken, you're good to go. Essentially just keep going. If you're not hurt, go ahead and ride. So, I mean, I didn't tell them anything and I go out for the first moto in my first class and I do all right. It wasn't the best. I got like seventh and I wasn't happy about it. So I come back for the next race and I'm riding a little bit angry. I get a decent start and it's just the first lap and we're coming around to the finish line area. And I got to put in there that my mom hardly ever came to the races at all, but mm -hmm. she ended up coming to this one. And the section that she's sitting at was the grant or the section that I crashed in was the grandstand section. So she happy, she happened to be sitting right there as it happened. And that was kind of the thing I remember was, I guess from what I remember is like, I think I either missed a gear, like an upshift, an upshift going up the face of a jump. And I went over the bars. I endowed 
and the bike hit me in the back was what I'm told. But I just remember waking up and kind of being on my back and thinking, oh no, like I crashed right in front of my mom. Like I bet she's freaking out. And then the second thing was, oh no, I I can't move either. (laughs) That's another big thing. And um, I I had fractured my neck. I had broken a few ribs and bruised both my lungs really bad. So I couldn't breathe. And (laughs) uh, my mom was like one of the first people to me. And I'm just sitting there like telling her, I was like, if I die, tell Devin, who's my sister, like I love her, tell dad I love him. Like, I don't think I'm going to make it. (laughs) Like like a a war movie, essentially. Oh, dude. (laughs) So uh, they they were about to load me up into an ambulance. And then they called in the the helicopter and I ended up getting life lighted out. And we were up in Tennessee at the time. So they life flight me to Memphis, which I don't know if you know anything about Memphis, Tennessee, but it's not one of the best cities in the United States at all. It's got a lot of violence going on in that city. So we were in the ICU in this terrible, terrible place and like gunshot victims and people being stabbed and all this crazy stuff going on in the ICU. And um, so there wasn't much sleep there as far as pain, first of all, and then all the other nonsense going on around us. And then once I was stable, they moved me over to a children's hospital and uh, they kind of got me ready to get transferred back home. And uh, we flew back to Atlanta and I started my rehabilitation at Shepherd Center. And the Shepherd Center is a, a very good rehab center, isn't it? Yes. So I didn't know. Of course, you know, you don't know much about this stuff until you end up in the situation. I wasn't doing my research on the best spinal rehabilitation places. But when we got there and we were working through it, um, of course, I think the first couple of weeks are really hard because you're basically learning how to walk again. Essentially, your body's super weak from when you get hurt and you're just laying in the hospital bed, not doing anything with your upper body or your abs or anything at all. So basically, those first two weeks, you're just learning how to like sit up and put on a T-shirt and um, how to wash yourself and how to do all these you know things that we used to do every day and not even think about. So it was a struggle. Um I really wanted to get out of there. (laughs) I wanted to get out of the hospital so bad. And I was actually one of the fastest people at the time to graduate the Shepherd Center inpatient therapy. I got a certificate for it and everything. I don't know where it's at anymore, but I used (laughs) to have one. And um, once I left, I I actually missed the place. I was like, man, I wish I could go back. (laughs) I was like, I like being there. Like everything was super accessible and you just call like a nurse or somebody with a touch of a button and so on and so forth. And, you know, I started to realize as I grew up that I was one of the best rehabilitation centers in the world. And, you know, I got very lucky for my parents and everybody that kind of helped us in that situation and put us there. So, uh, yeah, that was great. Situation, of course. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I get it. I totally get it. Um, tell us what was going through your mind uh, when you first entered that hospital, and, and did you ever find yourself in a place where you th- were thinking more about what you couldn't do than what you what you could? And how did you sort of get through that? Absolutely. Um, especially when I was in Tennessee when I first got hurt, and I was coming to grips with what was happening. There was a lot of people when like you go down to the cafeteria to go eat breakfast or lunch, you'd see these people that would walk in there that were visiting somebody and they would be, I no lie, 300, 400 pounds, like very, very obese people that didn't seem to do anything with their body at all. And I'm 14 years old and these people are grown adults. <laughs> like, and I was just sitting there like, why, why me? Like I'm doing something with my body. Like, I'm exercising all the time. I'm trying to be a professional athlete. And, you know, it gets taken away from me. And that was, that was hard at first. 
Was your was your self identity, you know, you know, closely tied to motocross? Was it? <laughs> it was all I knew. I, I think it was all I knew. It was my it was my identity. It was everything, honestly. Did you have any? I mean, fourteen years old. Maybe you weren't uh, emotionally intelligent enough to realize that your identity was wrapped up in that. But that must have been hard to kind of shift out of that. It took a while, for sure. Um, especially, like I said, just being naive to the whole spinal cord injury thing and thinking that you know, in the next year or so, I'm going to figure this out and like my feelings going to come back and you know we're going to learn how to walk again. I'll be back on a dirt bike soon and I'll be racing again and. Yeah, it was a tough thing to kind of cope with. And just as I went through the rehabilitation process, I was like, oh, man, this is they're preparing me for the rest of my life. Essentially, like they're like, get used to it. This is what you're going to be doing for forever. So, yeah, um, once I was able to leave the rehabilitation hospital and go back to my house and just kind of, you know, you have a lot of time to sit there and think we were out of school at the time. I think I got hurt like around April, close to uh May. So when I got out of the hospital, it was May and school was over. So we were sitting out for summer and you have a lot of time to think about what you used to do and what you won't be able to do anymore. And you, it, it definitely took a couple of years to fully let go of motocross and me being a motocross racer and being a professional racer. Um, I still love the sport to this day. It's still my favorite thing to watch and favorite thing to keep up with. But yeah, it took a little bit to get over the fact that that was no longer an option. So as a 14-year-old, you're going through, you know, uh, you're going through changes, you know, you're going through some pretty dramatic changes in your body, but also in your mind. What was it like when you went back to school and and, um, had to navigate that? (laughs) That was tough. Um, What's funny is I'd actually, so when I got hurt, I was 14. It was my ninth grade year, so my freshman year of high school. Um, The first semester I went to school and completed it, and then the second semester, um, we were, we'd been talking about doing homeschool and th- my parents were looking at homeschool options, like, uh, programs and things of that nature. And we were actually backing out of the driveway to head to school one day during the winter time. I remember it, it was cold and it was a day, it was super early in the morning when you're a kid and you don't want to wake up and go to school. And mm. <laughs> I'm in the car, we're backing out of the driveway and my dad stops and he goes, Hey, like, what's your, my, my friend Matt Turner at the time that I used to ride with a lot. Um, he's like, what's Matt doing today? And I was like, oh, he's going up to Zach's house to go ride. And he goes, get out of the car. And I was like, what? He's like, get out. You're homeschooled now. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, yeah, go go ride today. Like, you're homeschooled. We're going to figure out the homeschool program later on. But, yeah, just, just go ride. And so I went from <laughs> super sad, no energy, super tired, headed to school at 7.30 in the morning to super excited. I can't believe it. Let's go load up the dirt bike and let's go ride today. Like, I'm free. I'm a free man. And uh, that that period of my life. I think it was about from January up until April when I got hurt. Those like three months were amazing. I didn't have to go to school. I didn't have any homeschool work at the time because my parents hadn't found an academy yet for me to work through. So I was pretty much just riding dirt bikes, playing Guitar Hero, and <laughs> hanging out at, at a house by myself because my parents were at work all day. Wow. Yeah, it was cool shit. I was 14. I was, <laughs> we had this truck. My dad had got this truck for us that was like a little stick shift Tacoma that, you know, he would let me and my buddy Matt take to the track on the weekends. And uh, I would try to, you know, practice driving that around the neighborhood, learning how to use a manual stick shift and just, you know, kind of screwing around while everybody else was at school. 
And that was great. And then I got hurt. <laughs> and so I, I had to go back to school and start my 10th grade year. Um, and it was weird. Uh, a lot of friends during the summer, you know, when I'm sitting at the house hurt, that didn't really come by. They didn't show up like they said they would. And you go to school and you kind of have that in the back of your mind. And everybody's like, oh, it's so good to see you. And I'm glad you're okay, blah, blah, blah. And, but it's all just kind of fake. And it, it was hard. You know, a lot of people were trying to do their own thing and move on. And I felt like I was kind of seen as a burden or somebody that they'd have to like really go out of their way to help. But there was definitely a few people that I actually ended up becoming really close friends with that I never thought, you know, before my injury, I'd be friends with. But they ended up being some of my closest friends, like my friend Harland. Um, when I got hurt, my dad got me a golf cart so I could get around the neighborhood and see people. Hmm. So I would hop on this golf cart and drive from my neighborhood across this very busy road into another neighborhood, pick up my friend Harlan, and we'd go to school every morning. And uh, he was like one of these people that was just there for me, helped me with my wheelchair, didn't care. And um, yeah, so I whittled down all the fake people that I thought were my friends to, you know, the few that I actually still talk to this day. Isn't that amazing how you really get to know who your good friends are through something like this? Yeah. The people that just like to hang out because you're doing something cool and they want to be associated with it to, you know, the people that are really there when everything's gone, essentially. So, yeah, it was a weird time. It's still not easy coping with that that feeling of rejection, though, right? When and your uh, your your old friends or people you thought were your friends no longer inviting you out or no longer making the effort to include you, it's um it's yeah. kind of pretty hurtful. I, I found that probably one of the hardest things. It was very tough back then, but at the time I was very young and. I'm going to use the word naive again, but naive in the ways of the world and how things worked. And I lived and died by the friends that I had in high school because that was your life. You know, if you weren't a part of the cool group or mm. you didn't get to hang out with anybody at lunch or whatever it may be, and you weren't going to the right party on the weekend, like you just felt so left out and like nobody cared about you. And it's like, what's wrong with me? Like, why not get invited to that? And, you know, as you grow up and you get older and you're able to look back at it through a different lens, essentially, you can kind of, be happy that sometimes you weren't at those things like the parties that were getting busted or the people that were doing drugs that, you know, the people I found out that I've been doing heroin and was like, Oh, like no wonder why they weren't hanging out with me. Like I wasn't doing the same things that they were doing. So that's why they never invited me to these places. So looking back on it now, I have like a different perception on those people, that whole situation and like kind of where I am now, I'm more able to be at peace with, even today with people that blow me off or whatever happens, I'm just like, okay, that wasn't meant to be. It's probably for a good reason that we didn't get together then. And let's move on and move on to the next thing. In recent years, I've met a few young guys that have come through the spinal unit here in uh, New Zealand and, uh, you know, sort of 15 year olds. And, um, and I often wonder what it was like for them going through, through high school. What um what what one piece of advice would you give them if, uh, if they were going through something uh, that you went through? I feel like this is for everybody in general is to figure out something that makes you love yourself again. Essentially, whether it's meditating and being able to like, you know, be quiet with your thoughts and be present at the time with what's going on and be thankful for everything else that you do have. Or if it's some kind of exercise or some sport that kind of gives you passion or something to work towards, just anything that makes you feel good, like you you have a purpose, essentially. Find that thing and kind of stick to it. And 
the rest is just noise. Uh, high school doesn't matter <laughs> besides, you know, getting grades and going to college and doing stuff like that. If that's what, if that's the path you want to take. Yeah. Focus on that and make sure you don't slack through it. But the people that, you know, in high school and middle school are like 90% of them, you're not even going to keep up with, or you're not even going to remember that you went to school with them down the line. Um, so just, you know, survive through high school, get through it. Life is so much better once you grow up and you turn 20 and 21 and you get to meet adults and other people in the world that are possibly doing the same thing that you love to do or work in a different aspect. And you get to meet these people and learn about their journey or where they're from in the world and, you know, their story. So it's just high school is so temporary and fleeting. And I know it seems like it's everything right now, but I promise you it's, it's nothing at all. So just get through it and focus on what you're supposed to focus on. Yeah, too true, mate. Too true. Tell us what uh, lasting physical effects um, do you have from your injury? So I got pretty lucky. I like to say, um, I I went through this thing called the Miami Project to cure paralysis, and when I was down there, there they were doing the Asia test, which was something I had forgotten about when I was at the hospital when I first got hurt. Um, all that stuff was a blur. But they do the Asia test where they prick you and like they rub all this stuff on you to kind of see about your sensitivity and pain levels. And I was wondering like why they're rubbing like a paintbrush on my back or like I was like, is that supposed to hurt? And I found out that a lot of people do have these phantom pains and things that really like burn them up or it feels like needles and whatever. Um, I, I got really lucky to not have that. I think I did for a little bit. Like my back was very sensitive. If somebody like slapped me on the back, it would sting so, so, so bad. But that eventually went away. Um, I'm assuming like in the first year or so, because I don't remember how long that lasted. And just anything residual, mostly just muscle spasms, um, things of that nature. But I got very lucky as far as having any pain or any other deformities or things that happened from the accident. It was all kind of located in one central area and I just healed from the broken ribs and my lungs got better. I had pneumonia for a little bit when I was in the hospital, but of course that goes away. And yeah, luckily I just kind of go day to day now. Of course, you know, everybody gets tired of sitting and it kind of gets your back sore and you need to like stand up or stretch out or lay down, just do whatever. And I tend to do that quite more often now as I get older. Um, when I was younger, I just would go, go, go. But now that I'm getting a little bit older, I like to lay down a little bit more and you know, take some pressure off the back. One of the things that I like to do is uh, is lie prone, so lie on your stomach and yes. kind of almost do an upward dog sort of movement. And every time I do that, my back cracks and it just feels so good to release that tension from sitting all day. Um, yes. And the other thing is lying on a, like a foam roller, nestle between my shoulders so following the length of my spine and so that I can open my shoulders up and really extend out and, and open my shoulders because I, I get pain in my arms from, you know, I guess overuse and getting, you know, shoulders that are rounding from pushing all the time. Um, and those, those are my two sort of go-to stretches. And I should do more. I should do um, band exercises to do rotator cuffs and things like that. But as long as I do those two, I can keep a reasonable um, reasonable balance and, and minimize the discomfort that I that I feel. What, what sort of routine, if any, do you do you um, follow with uh, with regards to exercise? So, I used to be really bad about exercising. Um, I was one of those people that you know I'd start to see my face get a little bit chunky and puffy, and I'm like, oh my god, I need to do something. Like starting to get fat, and I start exercising for a little bit and eating a little bit better. <laughs> and then after a while, you know, it just 
fell off. Like it'd be cold one day, it'd be raining and I didn't want to unload my wheelchair in the rain and go to the gym. And it's like the next thing, you know, eating bad that day instead of going to the gym. And, um, but as of recently, like the past year, two, three years now, I've pretty, I've been really consistent as far as waking up like my morning routine with meditating, trying to read at least 10 pages of a book and then stretching a little bit, like I said, laying prone and just kind of doing like that stretch and just kind of like lifting up your chest and stretching out and then doing like the downward facing dog, which is really great. And then I have a little walker um, that I like to use and use my spasms to try to stand up in the morning and get the blood flowing and just kind of get stretched out that way as well. Mm. And well, unfortunately the gym's closed now, but I go to LA fitness and they have a hand cycle, like a, I guess a, I forgot what they call them, ergonomic machine or whatever the little hand cycle things that they have there. Mm. And I'll do that for 45 minutes to an hour. Um, not so much of like a heavy spin where I'm really sweating my ass off and pushing really hard, but just something to get through and like do some cardio and, you know, get the heartbeat going and get puffing and do some stuff like that. And then every now and then I'll hop on the machines and kind of do some light, high repetition weight training a little bit with my shoulders and chest and things of that nature. But, you know, we already lift ourselves and push each, push ourselves around all the time. So I don't want to get my shoulders and chest any bigger. I just want to stay in shape and make sure I can, you know, get myself around and not be too heavy. Yeah, nice. Hey, can you describe your meditation practice. What works for you? So um, I feel like I'm just getting started and it's something that, I feel like it takes years to be good at. So what I do right now is I have a whole list on my U- or on YouTube. It's like a little private list of motivation slash meditation videos that I have put together. And they're all ranging from like 10 to 15 minutes, essentially. And I'll wake up in the morning and get in my chair and like sit upright because I notice if I lay down and do my meditations, I end up waking up again a couple hours later because <laughs> they put me right back to sleep. But uh, I start in the morning, get up, sit in my chair put on some headphones, put the earbuds in and kind of cancel everything else out as far as light and sounds and anything like that. And I'll do these guided meditations for mindfulness or just like appreciating or getting the day started, anything of that nature. And um, some days are better than others. Some days I'm really good at shutting all the other noise off and, you know, getting my thoughts to quiet down. And then other days it's just like, I can't focus in on the meditation at all. And I think that's the best part about doing it is just finding how to get it done and like working through all the noise when you are having a bad day of, you know, not being able to focus. But I highly suggest finding guided meditations if people are trying to do it for the first time on YouTube. They're all over the place. Yeah, nice. I've just started uh, doing Wim Hof breathing uh, through, um, through, he does a guided, it's about 11 minute guided breathing exercise. If you haven't checked that out, Brandon, I suggest um, looking it up. Wim Hof, W I M H O F. He's, um, He's otherwise known as the Iceman, and uh, yeah. he does cold cold water therapy, and he's climbed Everest in his shorts. You know, he's a, he's a he's at one <laughs> from one perspective, he looks like a complete lunatic, and um, and on the other um, view, he's a he's a complete genius. He's he's uh, been able to find ways to boost your immune system and liven up your your nervous system through through breathing, very simple breathing exercises, and. Um, and I like it. The ten minutes goes really quickly, which means that I've I've actually I've actually switched off from uh, the reality outside of that, which is which is actually proven to help performance if you can actually rest um, your mind and switch off from uh, from the tasks at hand. 
so yeah, I find that I find that pretty helpful. Um, but I'm definitely yeah. gonna, I'm definitely going to look up um, some other um, uh, videos and, and perhaps um, perhaps separately, I'll um, you could recommend a few. Uh, I was about to say, if you'd like, uh, I could definitely send over like my top three favorite meditations I like to do to get the day started, or three or five, and uh, have you have those. That'd be good. Yeah, and I could possibly share those with our with our listeners. That'd be um, and just that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm nice. Of getting everybody to meditate, I think the whole world should meditate. It's just, it's good. We don't ever really think about how often our brain is just going because we're so used to just being in our thoughts all the time and just thinking. And it's a weird thing when you actually try to meditate for the first time and like you start to realize how much you're distracted by everything else, like whether it be a conversation you had with somebody the other day or like what you're going to eat for breakfast or like what did I eat the other day? Like what did I? And like how your mind just goes down all these crazy little. <laughs> like pass essentially. And then when you start to do meditation and you start to think about just being present with your breath and what's going on, then I don't know, it just slows things down. It just, it makes you more appreciative of life and what you have going on. And, uh, it makes everything else, you know, seem so small. And I think that's what motocross did for me back in the day when I could put on a helmet and my mind was completely quiet. Cause I was just focused on what I was doing. That was my meditation at the time. Mm. And I found a new way of doing that kind of that at peace and away from the world, essentially. Yeah. I like to call that flow being in a flow state. Yeah, flow state. Yep. Exactly. What, you know, so obviously meditation, this practice that you're developing uh, helps you get into that flow state. What, what was one of the first things or another thing that, uh, that enables you to, you know, really enjoy your life and, you know, despite the fact that you're a wheelchair user with a spinal cord injury, what was what was another thing like that for you? Like I said, when we went through the whole thing of figuring out who your friends are, I will say I had like the best support system and the friends that I did keep around were the ones that did stay around. I didn't keep them around, but they stayed around for me um, and my family as well. They were very essential to me believing in myself and you know helping me get back on my feet and going to go have fun and do things like my dad bought me that golf cart so i could go around and communicate with my friends and still be a part of the neighborhood and then we got jet skis and i started to ride jet skis on the lake and then we got into go-kart racing and you know that was able to kind of take care of that competitive edge that i wanted to do and that adrenaline rush that i missed so much as well Hmm. as well as that meditation quietness where you're not thinking about anything else and um, honestly, it's just, it's been a lot of, I, I would say the first three or four years, three, four or five years are pretty hard. I mean, you have days where you don't think about it. And then you have days where it's really like weighing on you. Like, damn, like I'm, I'm really in a wheelchair now. Like, this is my life. Like, especially if you like fall, like you're trying to transfer into the shower and you like slip and fall and do something like that. And you're mm-hmm. sitting in the back for five to 10 minutes struggling to get back in your chair and you're just like, <laughs> like, I can't believe this is, this is happening. This is my life now. But at the same time, it's, it's so good to be able to have the freedoms that I do still have. And I don't take those for granted, essentially to be able to brush my teeth and kind of do other things and um, surround myself with friends and be able to go out and be outside and see and hear things and taste good food and just all these other little minor things that I used to take for granted now just mean a whole lot more um, because I know how quickly they can be taken away without you even knowing it. It's just, it happens so fast. So mm-hmm. everything like life kind of gives me life. Essentially people give me life, um, helping people, making people laugh. I love to kind of give back and make sure people are happy and being involved in community somehow is always great. 
But um, yeah, I feel like the more you can be in touch with nature, the more that you can be in touch and love yourself and kind of find something that helps you have a purpose. Um, you can kind of do anything. It's really interesting because right now you and I are both in lockdown in our countries and in some regards that's taken away a lot of people's freedom. You know, it's taken away the the small things, you know, to be able to go out to a restaurant, to it, in some cases to go out and enjoy nature. You know, I've got a, I've got a wee boat. I love to go out on the harbour and, and uh, go fishing and, and we're not allowed to do that now. And I think... Uh, you know, one of the silver linings that will come out of this whole lockdown thing is people may appreciate the things that they were taking for granted for so long. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the freedom to travel wherever you want globally is may, may forever be changed as a result of this. And, um, uh, yeah, so, you know, in some ways what you're saying about appreciating uh, appreciating the, the little things in your life, um, realizing that, okay, so, yeah, you've, you've had this, terrible accident you're a wheelchair user you know you can't walk anymore but you know you can still go out with your friends you can still um enjoy nature you can still find things to do and focusing on that rather than focusing on what you can't do is is ultimately the way that you're going to um enjoy your life and be positive um and, and anyone can apply that right anyone can apply that mindset to to wherever they are um, exactly i think the best way of thinking about it is you know if you put put a whole bunch of trash food into your body, your body's going to feel like trash. And if you put a whole bunch of trash, you know, into your mind, essentially bad thoughts or bad videos or whatever it is and people, negative people around you, you know, your mindset's going to be trash or bad too. So I think the, mm. the best way to look at stuff is try to find the silver lining as hard it may, as hard as it may be sometimes. And I'm not saying you can't have bad days and feel sorry for yourself and be down because we all have those days, no matter what everybody does, mobile or non-mobile, you know, we're, we're, we're not immune to having bad days, but the whole thing is just to kind of try to change your mindset or, you know, when you are having those bad thoughts, just trying to like look into them as why you're having that. And it's like, well, that's okay. This will just be temporary and we can move on from this and tomorrow can be better. You never know what the next days are going to bring. And um, yeah, that's kind of the mindset I try to have when those days are bad. Nice. one, mate. I, you touched on a really interesting point there about, uh, you know, if you eat, Bad food, you're gonna, your body's not going to respond very well if you fill your mind full of bad thoughts uh, or you surround yourself with, you know, just constant barrage of bad news and violent videos, etc. You know, that's going to become your reality. So uh, I, I don't have a television. I very seldom look at mainstream media for the simple fact that for the most part, it's bad news um, or, you know, there's some drama going on there. I don't need that in my life. I need to stay informed, but I don't, I don't need to be constantly looking at the, the bad news. Um, and my wife, uh, you know, bless her, she, she ensures that our family eats really well and healthy and um, we, we don't get sick. We, we, you know, we, we very, very seldom get sick. Our immune systems are robust and, um, and I've got a ton of energy. Um, and people often remark, man, you're doing so much. It's so much energy. How, you know, how do you do this? And, you know, it takes me an hour a day, an hour longer than it used to to just do the daily things, you know, necessary, get dressed, mm -hmm. bathroom, shower, um, you know, and yet I'm still able to pack things into my day and I'm sure you are the same. And it's, it's because you're taking care of yourself, um, your mind and your physical body. Um, it's it, it's intentional. You got to be intentional about it. First of all, you got to be aware of it, and then and then you've actually got to do something about it. So yeah, yeah. 
I think the awareness is one of the best things. I, I think that's the greatest trait that anybody can have is self-awareness and being honest with yourself and where you are and um, taking responsibility for stuff. Um, one of the best books I ever read was A Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. Um, <laughs> it was the one that i just gone through a breakup. I was at this place in my life where I was working a job I hated. I was barely able to pay the bills just gotten broken up with. I hadn't been exercising. I had been eating terribly. I was just consuming all the worst stuff possible, essentially. And I wasn't focused on bettering myself at all. Like I wasn't doing anything to get better. I wasn't listening to podcasts. I wasn't reading. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't eating well. I was just very stagnant. And, you know, stag being stagnant will kill you essentially like it'll just make you so sad and just depressed and you'll get left behind and everybody will keep going without you so you definitely have to find something that gets you motivated and kind of gets you going essentially and your mind in the right place and putting in good food and having exercise and kind of doing these things that make you love yourself and feel good about yourself and the fact that you are working towards something um your body and your mindset starts to notice it and it'll want to attract more of that and it'll attract it into your life with the people that you hang out with as well. hundred percent. I've always found that 100%, you know, if you've, you know, you set, set a, a goal to, to do something or you're, um, you're on the path to learning something new, all of a sudden, all of the right elements will come in to, to assist you with that. You know, the right people, the suggestions, um, you know, even, even by searching Google for the, for certain things, the, the content will appear, you know, um, the recommendations, the ads that, that actually start, um, will start to assist you on that, uh, on that goal, that endeavor, um, and I guess the hardest thing for a lot of people is actually just taking that first step, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I guess we'll, we'll talk about entrepreneurship because that's one of those things that it can seem really overwhelming to try and change the world or create a new business or, um, you know, try and create a new product of some sort. Um, but, you know, it's that first step. It's actually just telling somebody about this idea you have or this the way you want the world to look, the way you want to change the world in some way. That sets off this chain of events that, that all of a sudden um, helps you build momentum and help realize that, um, that, that dream, that goal. So, you know, right now you're, you're an entrepreneur, you, you've started iAccess Life, you know, was, is this your first entrepreneurial venture and, and how did you, how did you get involved in, in entrepreneurship and, and business? Yeah, that's honestly a funny story because as you know, motocross was my background and that was my identity. That was all I knew. I didn't think about what college I wanted to go to. when I, you know, grew up i didn't think about what job i wanted to work at like all it was was i'm going to be a professional motocross racer i'm going to ride for honda i'm going to do this and that and that's all i knew so going down the entrepreneurship path was just honestly a thing of passion it wasn't something i really looked at at all it wasn't like oh i'm going to go into business or i want to start a company it was just i tried to live my life as normal as possible like you said earlier getting hurt at 14 is a weird time like you're growing up you're starting to notice girls girls are starting to notice guys going to dances and trying to do stuff and i just wanted to be treated as normal as possible i didn't want people to feel bad for me or go out of the way to help me and i would travel with friends and i would go places and um a lot of the time when i left the city that i lived in i started to notice that there's this lack of accessibility from place to place where 
the parking spots would be horrific or there wouldn't be any handicap spots available or the entrance was all stairs and I couldn't get in unless you went around back or whatever it may be. And the bathrooms were the main reason I really started this whole entrepreneurial like venture, um, just going places and not being able to get in the bathroom and like peeing yourself and just feeling like a, like an idiot. Sometimes essentially you're just like, wow, like I can't even get into the bathroom. And this really discourages me from going new places with my friends and feeling like I'm just kind of, putting them out and they had to leave early because I had an accident or we can't go here because I can't get in. So I was actually at church with my mom one year in 2011 and it was the new year's Eve service. And they were talking about instead of focusing on what you can do to better yourself that year, that you'll probably give up on in the first month. Um, what can you do to help your community? <laughs> and I didn't even think about it at the time I left the service was headed to my car. And as soon as I got to the door to go grab the handle, like the, the light bulb was a little light bulb effect went off and I was like, I need to develop a mobile app. And little did I know what I was getting myself into (laughs) when I had the idea for developing a mobile application. Um, And it's one of the things I like the piece of advice I want to give everybody is that social media and commercials and, you know, all these news outlets will make it seem like all these really cool startups like Facebook and, you know, hot well, not I don't, I don't know like all these like Foursquare, whatever like all these little things will pop up out of nowhere and it seems like they just started like two months ago and all of a sudden killing it now and they're like a million dollar billion dollar company and it's just it's not like that at all that's not the journey that's <laughs> not how it goes <laughs> um it takes a lot of money to get started it takes a lot of like just resistance and resilience to quit essentially just kind of stubbornness almost and a foolish belief in yourself and what you have, what you're working on to get past the first few steps of trying to do entrepreneurship. Um, I had no business background. I had background, so I wasn't going to develop an app on my own. And I had to learn how to start a business. Like what all went into forming an LLC, what all went into, you know, getting your, you know, your tax ID and your business plan and return on investments and all like what all this stuff was. And, Basically, if I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> I was the kid that never paid attention in school. Um, this is not my forte at all, but it was just something I was dead set on doing and I was going to figure out a way to do it no matter what. And, you know, if you have enough conversations with people and you talk and you just keep getting told no, but here's some advice and here's some feedback, you take that feedback and you iterate and you keep going. Um, the only way to fail is to quit is my best advice so just don't give up if you feel like you have something that you really love and that you believe in if nobody believes in it at the time keep working at it i don't know just iterate on it make some changes and just don't give up on what you want to work on because it will come around eventually and i think it goes back to tying in the whole of if you put trash in you get trash out and i had started what's now i access life about five years ago or over five years ago now and I wasn't doing what I should have been doing. And I just kind of thought it was going to come eventually and come easy. And um, when it was time, it was time, but I wasn't working on bettering myself or doing anything in the meantime to progress that. And it stalled out. And that's when I said like the whole reading and the meditation and the exercising and learning to believe in myself and feeling confident about what I was doing. That's when all those doors started to open up. And it was like, I had a meeting with this person and that person introduced me to this guy. And now these people are developing our application and we have evaluation on our app. And 
now I can go to these people that you know, I was once asking for money. They were like, nope. <laughs> and it's kind of laughed in my face essentially. And now they're giving me 40 K or 10 K or 20 K. And, um, once that first domino falls, it's kind of, it's the rest is history essentially. <laughs> That's so good. So describe to our listeners, uh, what, uh, what your app does and, and what, um, what you're hoping to achieve with this. Of course. So, like I said, when I was in rehab, I, I got to meet a lot of people that had seemed to have given up on life, essentially. Um, I got hurt racing motocross, and I knew the risk of that. So I was able to kind of transition back into, all right, like right, let's live a normal life, and let's keep going. Like What are we going to do next? Um, a lot of people I met didn't have that luxury. Um, they were doing something they shouldn't have been doing, or they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And now this is their new normal, and... Um, I feel like a lot of outside perception and even my perception before I got hurt about people with disabilities is that they don't do anything. Like you always feel bad for them. <laughs> like I, I still sometimes feel bad for other people I see in wheelchairs. I'm just like, Oh man, like I'm sorry. But like, yeah, like you kind of like look at some of these people that have an impairment or something that's going on and you feel bad and you don't think that they go out and like to party or, you know, hang out with the girls and go on dates or guys or whatever it may be. And you just kind of see them as these people that maybe stay inside, but that's so far from, you know, what we are and who we are essentially. Like we love to be a part of normal society. We want to go to sports games. We want to go to concerts. We want to go skydiving. We want to go scuba diving. And that was something that I saw people didn't think there was a future of having essentially like that was just gone for them so with this whole thing it came to be i want to be able to know the place that i'm going is accessible or not accessible and i wanted to be able to like get this data from people that are living the same situation that i'm living so we developed iaccess life which is a mobile app that allows you to rate and review locations based on their accessibility you can rate the parking the entrance of the place the interior space and the bathroom and this kind of just gives you an overall, just a, like an overall glance at like, hey, this place is super accessible. You can get in or, hey, it's accessible, but you may have a hard time or just forget about it. Don't go here at all, essentially. And um, we want to transition that into a whole lifestyle application where you can book accessible tickets to concerts or accessible tickets to, you know, if you want to take a plane flight someplace or you're going to get a hotel someplace. We want to just be like this one-stop shop for people that are living their life and going to concerts and um, going on adventures essentially, and just kind of show that, you know, we are here. Um, I was never somebody that was one to create a scene or make a stink over anything. So if a place was inaccessible, I would just leave. But now we have a platform to voice our opinions and kind of show people that, Hey, you're missing out on a big demographic of people. Not only are you missing out on us, but you're missing out on the people that we travel with our companions, our friends and family. And, um, yeah, just trying to make, pretty much accessibility sexy again and show people that we can do still do fun stuff and that we're out here and that we want to be a part of everything else that everybody's a part of. So giving people a guide essentially. So it's kind of twofold. You're, you're assisting, you know, those folks that you mentioned that have sort of almost given up and, and don't see a way through. And you're also helping change the perceptions for those that don't have a disability and, um, and, and letting them know that, um, this community of ours is a, is a worthy community to serve and to provide access for and to um, yeah encourage to come into their businesses. Um, 
It's, I think it's fantastic. And, and so what, what's been one of the, the hardest things for, for setting this up? What, what, what's the one, one thing that you, um, you know, the, the business model um, struggles with the most and, and how, can, how can this community of ours help? Well, it's just like anything. I mean, we launched back in April of 2019, essentially, and we were just through a crowdsourcing application, kind of how Yelp is. They didn't have reviews and things that they could just source from. So everything has to be, you know, answered from our users and our customer base, essentially. So just like with anything, strength in numbers, um, if we can get more people on the application, we already have 3,500 unique places rated um, around 45 different states and 30 something countries. So we're, we're kind of spreading out there, but it's just getting more people on the platform, just getting more eyes on it, getting people using it. Um, when people see that and they see the traction and like kind of the monetary value of our customer base and the fact that, you know, we are eager and that we are looking for ways to go out and have fun. Um, I think it makes things a lot easier down the road as far as partnerships for us and us being able to give those partnerships to the people that are using our application as well. So, yeah, I think the best way for anybody to help at this stage is just to, you know, find us online. You can visit us at www.iaccesslife, www.iaccesslife.com, or uh, we're in the Android and the iOS store at iaccesslife. And right now we're actually, since everybody's doing the shelter in place and we're all kind of bored, uh, we've already watched everything on Netflix that we can possibly think of. <laughs> we're doing a little thing to, for us to help give back, which is if you rate, what's called the stay in place, rate your place or rate in place contest, essentially. So we're encouraging people to like rate locations around their house or locations that they're very familiar with. And for every unique location that's rated in the next 30 days, we'll give a dollar to uh, Meals on Wheels for the COVID relief. Oh, that's great. Oh, then what an awesome thing to do. Thank you. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, I wanted to figure out a way to give back. I didn't want things to be stagnant at this time. And uh, we're, we're doing that. We're also trying to do users, ooh, which reminds me, I forgot to do my user spotlight yesterday. <laughs> we're doing user spotlights. So what we're trying to do is uh, get people to reach out to us and kind of, you know, kind of how you reach out to people about what they're working on and what they're doing. That's really cool. We want people to reach out to us and say they want to be featured on the website and Tell us about what they're doing and what they're passionate about and what gets their, you know, what gets their engine running essentially and their hobbies and what they do from day to day and hopefully inspire other people. So if anybody wants to reach out to us and be featured on that, that would be great as well. Yeah, fantastic. That's good. Um, what I'll do is um, once this podcast goes live, I'll, I'll, link, uh, I'll link your website um, and the places people can find out more about you. Uh, obviously, you've got, a, you've got an Instagram account and a, and a Twitter account and no doubt a Facebook uh, account as well. Um, what is, uh, what, are they the, the, the best places for people to um, connect with you, Brandon? Yeah, Instagram and Facebook are great. And if you're a business person or, I mean, if you just like LinkedIn, I think that's like where everybody's headed now because Facebook is slammed with so much different crap and spam, especially right now. So mm. I try to stay away from Facebook as much as I can. Um, I post a lot on Instagram, whether it's stories or things of that nature, and you can kind of keep up with me there. And that's at BMW937, um, pretty much on everything. So you can keep up with me there. We're also starting a little vlog series that will be out soon. So you can kind of keep up with who I am and kind of see me as a person with the day to what the day to day is and kind of me working through I access stuff with my business partners and some of the other things that we're doing as well. And just doing fun things and trying to make people laugh and kind of give them an insight on, you know, 
anything is essentially possible. Whatever you want to put your mind to and work towards, you can do it and get it done. Uh, thanks so much, mate. I, I look forward to checking that out. And um, and I, look, I, I really uh, think the future is bright for iAccess Life. I think it's a fantastic thing. I know access is probably one of the one of the top three um, frustrations that our community faces. And um, yeah, if we rally together, we can uh, we can certainly help to uh, improve that. Um, uh, what is what else does the future hold for you? What uh, what are what are some uh, things that uh, uh, you're looking forward to in the next uh, next year or two? That's the funny thing, right? You, um, what, what's the old saying goes? If you want to make the universe laugh, tell it your plans or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, tell it you have planned out. So, I mean, I guess for me, the next year or two, it's definitely, you know, building iAccess, trying to make new partnerships with some, you know, lifestyle companies that are outside of the medical service realm and outside of like the medical supply realm and things that are more mainstream. Um, so we want to make partnerships there. We just want to keep growing the app. And I think my main thing is just to keep growing as a person and try to be more strict and um, more responsible and hold myself accountable for the things I should be doing as far as doing my morning routine uh, more frequently and with more consistency, as well as just, you know, trying to give give back more and just be a good person. So I'm going to keep working on myself and I guess we'll see what the future has in store for me. I've no doubt that uh, the future has great things in store for you, mate. And um, and I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I really uh, like to thank you for uh, coming on the show and and sharing uh, your nuggets of wisdom. Um, I can't wait to see this list of uh, motivational um, meditation oh, yeah. videos. And um, and uh, I'm I'm definitely going to go and buy that book, The Subtle Art of uh, Not Giving an F. I've um, I've seen that pop up from time to time, and I'm um, I've got some Amazon uh, audiobook credits, so um, I'll be I'll be heading over there to get that uh, once we're finished here. Um, but yeah, I want to thank you once again, um, Brandon, for uh, coming on. It's been uh, been an absolute pleasure to, to have you on, and um, hopefully make it down to New Zealand one day, and we can hang out in, in real. Uh, I was actually just talking to somebody about that the other day. I was like, I need to get down to New Zealand. That's one of the places I really want to go. I'm not looking forward to the flight, but I, <laughs> I got to find my way down there for sure. And, um, I'll get you over those uh, med- or meditations. And I hope you do download that book because there's only two things in the world. And like my two pieces of advice or three pieces of advice is the only way to fail is to quit. You got to meditate and you have to, I forgot what the other one was already, <laughs> but yeah, you have to just do the meditation, just be a good person. But yeah, thank you for having me on. And, uh, I look forward to spreading some more iAccess life around the world. Awesome, mate. I'll take care over there and, um, hopefully we can, um, get out of lockdown uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Take care, everyone. And uh, thanks again, Brendan. Uh, catch up with you soon. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.